are now tuned into Sports Brock with Air Auntie. How do you pronounce your last name? Bergeron. Bergeron. Yes. Where are you from? New Orleans, Louisiana, as you might have guessed. Although, I also- You're a Creole. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was like me and Dominique LaRue from uh, Harlem Nights, uh-huh. yes. And Beyonce. What? This? Yeah, on one side. <laughs> on one side. Her daddy from Alabama. Right. Mama, Mama from Louisiana. <laughs> so basically your cousins. That's what I would say, but people don't believe it. And because, like, if you look at me from my left side, and but it's like light. in the dark, you could kind of see it. I can see some resemblance to Grandmother Dare Young. <laughs> <laughs> but not them bullshit ass jeans. I'm so sorry. Listen, don't come for your cousin's line. I don't know. I won't do it. But yeah, like, I, um, I got people ask me how to pronounce the name, and I like to tell white people that, like, oh, like my cousin Patrice, who plays hockey for the Boston Bruins. This is an NHL player, Patrice Bergeron, is very, very good. And one time I was in Boston for a Celtics game, and I was getting in a cab, and, like, at the time you still had to, like, if you were going to give him your credit card, give him an ID, because he was worried about credit card fraud, I guess. And he looked at my ID, like, five times and looked in the rearview mirror because he saw the Bergeron, and he was like, you could tell he just didn't know how to feel. He was like, but my hero is white. <laughs> he was conflicted. Yeah, and I was like, I can see the consternation in your face, so I'm going to just let you live with that. That's my cousin. That's, that's my cousin. He is passing. Yeah, I was like, he's not my cousin. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, thank you, Elena, for taking flight with me, Air Auntie, on Sports Bra. She is the editor-in-chief of SB Nation. Yes. SB Nation is a, a sports site. They do, like, a lot of video stuff. Uh, not even sports news. It's a whole, like, I would say, like, how would you describe it? It is a network of sports sites. I'm glad you asked me about that. SB Nation is over 300 team blogs that are individual sports sites. You might know, like, Canal Street Chronicles, or a lot of people know Bleeding Green Nation, which is the Philadelphia Eagles site. Um, so it's all of those individual blogs. And then the national flagship one, which is SBNation.com. Also under our banner is MMAFighting.com, which is the MMA site of record for that entire sport. Uh, and we also have a collection of five combat sites. So it's really, it's a big job over a lot of different media outlets in sports. It's kind of amazing. They're all crazy and I love them. A lot of media outlets. So you know what's funny is that this morning I checked the website and you guys have my little cousin on the website. Who's your little cousin? Connor Miller, uh, oh. committed to Auburn. Okay, I also have to throw some Auburn shade because, you know, LSU, you know, hey. Well, we were all tied over here, so my family was, it was it was a house divided. Right. Hashtag house divided. Everybody who's an Alabama Auburn friend. So you mentioned LSU, LSU Tigers. Yep. Roll Tigers. What did you, what did you say? I said roll Tigers. That's what you guys say? No, that's not what we say. I'm just trying to. <laughs> I went to, I was on campus. I went to the University of Alabama for one year. And I remember the day of, like, they played uh, LSU, there was a guy with, like, a mini stuffed tiger on a rope. Yeah. And he was on the street, and he was throwing the tiger in the street so people could drive over the tiger. Tiger bait. That's what you call that? No, that's what y'all call oh, it. Oh, shit. I would never say anything of the sort. We say, ha boudin, ko, koosh, koosh. Come on, tigers, let's push, push, push. Very Cajun 
statement. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. Exactly. I remember the first time I saw an Alabama fan outside of the Sugar Bowl when I was really little, and it was like this guy in overalls, fat white dude, trucker hat, overalls, and he had a box of Tide on a stick and a toilet paper on top of the box of Tide. And I was like, what that mean? And he was just out there going, roll Tide, roll. And I was like, what? And then my dad had to explain it to me, and I was like, oh, no, I ain't fucking that. Is that how you develop this like this passion for sports like it was something that you, that was just kind of like in your family growing up yeah sports was always all around me and like obviously I had you know parents that were very interested in sports like my dad was always a really big Braves fan so I grew up a Braves fan because they were like the closest baseball team for sure and obviously like it had Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, Steve Avery and so like that was a good time to be watching that team but like coming up our entire family was New Orleans Saints fans because it's just so part of the culture there and when I say our whole family I don't just mean the male side of the family I mean that like my grandmother was like the hardest of hardcore Saints fans like my mom one of my first sports memories is watching her in front of the TV on Sundays yelling Ron Dalton Ron Dalton for Dalton Hilliard who if like nobody outside of Louisiana knows who the fuck that is but like he was a running back at LSU and then for the Saints oh, wow. and so it was like oh okay well that that's just what you do on Sundays is you root super hard for the Saints like that was always my first introduction to sports and like same thing with me and my younger brother somehow my oldest sister and my youngest sister did not inherit that same thing but yeah it just stuck with me who that who that exactly who that said they're gonna beat them saints <laughs> oh my goodness shout out to marcus colston he went to hofstra i called myself oh he's got the this floor de lee what is it called floor de lee tattoo I called myself being a stylist at one point, and my first and only client for one day was Marcus Colston. He picked me up from Hofstra campus in his bins, and we drove to Roosevelt Field, and we went to some department store, I don't know, Nordstrom, and he got uh, his measurements taken, so I could then, like, I don't know, I was supposed to shop for him or something. <laughs> Nothing ever happened after, <laughs> after that, but he was... No. <laughs> I mean, I think I was like, nah. It was he from Pennsylvania. He was kind of like a, a small time, a small town. He wasn't with the, the lights and the action. Yeah, I get this is that like Marcus is not one of those people that's on some Russell Westbrook. And he's I, not the Brody. Yeah, no, not at all. It's like he's very much like just help me find like a tan suit. <laughs> A tan suit. So did you play sports growing up, or are you just a fan? Yeah, I played soccer all growing up from the time I was in, like, fifth or sixth grade all up to college. And I played for a week in college, got in kind of a fight, and then just decided that, like, it was better to just play intramurals. Um, but, yeah, like, I always um, played sports in one way or another. So I played organized soccer throughout high school and all that, all those years. But I played um, roller hockey with my little brother because he was super into it. And New Orleans had an ECHL team that had, I guess as part of like their deal with the city, had like built a rink in our neighborhood that was like just a roller hockey rink that nobody ever went to. And it was kind of unsupervised. And my brother wanted to play. And so talking to the parks department, they were like, well, you can't play on it because there's nobody to run it. And so I was like, well, I'll mind the rink if you know it means we could just play in this open ass beautiful ass new ass hockey rink <laughs> like if that's what you're saying so we did that for a bit but like we were always outside either like tossing a baseball or like 
playing soccer like on the lawn things like we our house was in a subdivision that was like the second one on the street from the corner and at the corner there was a light post and a tree and then a neutral ground behind that so because I played soccer me and my brother who for whatever reason really liked to kick he would set up his tee at the edge of our lawn and we would just like try and kick field goals between that light post and that tree and my brother went on to like kick in college for no good reason Honestly, like there was there was so much shit that we did around sports that like had no actual rhyme or reason, but like we just like being outside and like being competitive. The country, that country childhood is is nice. <laughs> That's why I mean, you know, we met in NFS, mm-hmm. Nike Football Society, uh, which was a fun co-ed flag football league, and that's where I got all my moves from. Yeah. Was R. from R. R. Rest, rest in peace, NFS. Diamond Turf, shout out to y'all, even though y'all traded me. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. So then, in college, Howard, HU. Yeah, HU, you know. I had to drop that. I I, I got some Howard people around me, so I hear it frequently. uh, You see you play for a week? I played for a week um, because I I had not originally intended to go to college. Um, Where were you going to go? I was just, I was concurrently enrolled in culinary school when I was in high school. And so I was like, I'll I'll just be a chef. I'm good. And so my mom was like, yeah, no. Yeah, you better uh, call one of these schools and figure out who will still offer you a scholarship. So I called around, called around, and, like, Howard was like, yeah, we'll still take you in, like, August. And so I was like, all right, I'll go to Howard. So the sight unseen, it was, like, the best, most fortunate decision ever. God is good. Thank you. Um, But, yeah, once I got to campus, I hadn't been playing all summer. And I was like, oh, they have a soccer team. I'll try and walk on. And I did. And the coach was like, yeah, yes, we'll take you or whatever. And so I was like, all right, training with the team, completely out of shape. Like, I was totally throwing up on training runs and everything else. But, like, I could tell I could hang in terms of, like, talent level. You had the skills. Yeah, exactly. But, like, I would be scrimmaging with the team or whatever, and it was it, the vibes was just weird. And it's just, like, freshman year, people were coming in. They were holding on to their positions. They felt weird about, like, who is this girl that, like, can't finish the training runs? And, like, is in here trying to, like, hang with us. Like, we didn't plan on this. And so I was kind of frozen out that first year. And I was like, this would be different if we were playing, I don't know, at, like, North Carolina. Do you realize we're playing soccer at an HBCU? (laughs) I didn't even know they had soccer at HBCU. That's what I'm saying. And, like, not to denigrate that at all because, like, that. No hate hate here from Auntie. Don't get mad. Exactly. I was like, and I ended up having a lot of real good friends on that team. But originally coming in, I was like, so you mean I'm going to have to run, meet curfew, not drink, and miss homecoming to deal with this bullshit? Oh, hell no. Out of there. Yeah, that was the end of that. I'm good. (laughs) Were you, like, into journalism from, like, because I know Howard has a a good journalism school. Mm -hmm. So, like, was that something you kind of were drawn to once you got to school, or had you always been... I guess high school newspaper and all that kind of stuff. Child, high school ain't had no newspaper. <laughs> New Orleans public schools, we didn't have a yearbook. So, thanks. 
Uh, but no, once I got to college, I was I knew I was going to major in journalism and I was involved in it or whatever. But like my involvement in sports at Howard was mostly through the sports information department because I had an incredible mentor there, Ed Hill. Who, shout out to Ed Hill, who just retired last year. But like he is the OG of black school sports information departments. He's the godfather of it, the nicest man humanly possible. And then the second I got to campus, like I remember holding the school newspaper in my hands and there was an ad in the paper to work with the sports information department and I was reading it even before my parents left from dropping me off and I was like, I'm going to respond to this ad because they were just looking for help. And so I responded to it and I talked to Mr. Hill and I, I told him that like I was interested in a bunch of sports but I really like baseball. And he was like, you like baseball? Shit, I got something for you. And so from that call, I was traveling with Howard's baseball team keeping score like official NCAA score that morphed into like keeping score submitting score reports to the NCAA calling it into the local newspapers and also operating the scoreboard at the field because there was literally nobody else to do it now coming from New Orleans and SEC country in particular you know how good LSU is at baseball right college world series every year and at the time Tulane was still at that point and so going to a black school afforded me an opportunity and the access to do that and to get experience that I never would have had had I like stayed home or gone to one of the big local schools. Yeah. And so like I was super, super duper grateful for that because I met all kind of people through that, even though they shuttered the team after two years. So you've been a one-woman sports media conglomerate. Hell yeah. <laughs> we like that. We're going to drink on that note. Today is National Boss Day. Aww. We're here with the editor-in-chief of SB Nation, um, Elena, how do you say it again? Bergeron. Bergeron, I'm going to get it before. It's like okay. Dijon, Bergeron. <laughs> right, soft G. Soft <laughs> That's soft G. So you turned down a job at Washington Post to be an intern at ESPN Magazine. Was your family like, girl... Or did they trust that you knew what you was trying to, what you wanted to do? You had your mission. You knew that you was gonna climb the sports ladder. You heard my story about how I got to Howard. My family has never at any point been like, "Oh, you know what you're doing." And they're like, "Yeah, no, <laughs> you don't know at all." But um, I, I don't want to glorify that position at the Washington Post because it was an agate job, which. If anybody, like, has known newspaper journalism, you know that that's the back, 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 back page of the sports section. That's where, like, all the box scores go. And so that's the person that gets paid an hourly wage to field, you know, the phone calls from, you know, the local high schools to tell you when the game is over so you can put the paper to bed. So it's not like I was going to be, like, oh, writing these amazing sports features or whatever else. But it is. It's a, it was a job versus an internship. It was a job with actual benefits and a piss test, which I actually took. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Because you know how black folks, a good ass, a, a good job. Yeah, I was like, oh, man, it's a good job with some benefits. <laughs> oh, they got a drug test. Oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> but, yeah, like, I, I had this decision to make because ESPN, the magazine, to me, was always the one that was, like, sort of the North Star. And because I was such a fan of that magazine at the time, especially, because, like, Sports Illustrated did a thing that was great and historical and whatever, but I never felt like they were of the moment or, like, talking about the things that, like, 
I was thinking. And every time I would get an ESPN the magazine, I would open it up and I'd be like, I was just wondering about that fool. Like literally <laughs> dusting some like washed up, uh, washed up baseball player who like now like runs a church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. But it would be that or like they used to do this thing in the middle of the book called Crosshairs, where it'd be a two page like infographic talking about somebody who's like contract was up or like coming back from an injury or something else. And so I remember like visibly like always getting the magazine was like I was just talking about that how so and so gotta have a big year and it was like that was the magazine to me and so when I got I I met the publisher of the magazine and I like solicited him and was like can you just read my clips like it it was was on Howard campus I read it was at a magazine conference on Howard's campus and I was just like it's not even a matter of like give me a job or anything like it was just like read my clips and like give me some feedback so I know what I'm doing right and wrong and he was like well I mean we have an internship program don't you want and I was like shit yeah that should have been my lead oh oh right right but it was the passion the passion that was fueling you just wanted him to like see what you were doing it wasn't necessarily about the job you said yeah exactly or internship am I on the right track was more what I was looking for and he was like you should apply and so when I did and I got the internship I was like mom dad here's the thing though (laughs) this job will be here and like I can always get an agate job I will not always have an entryway into this magazine and so they were like okay but you realize this is the last thing like we're gonna get you to New York and then your brother is going to college. Me and all my siblings are four years apart. So as one person leaves college, that's your time. <laughs> to get your shit together. Well, it's like you don't get no more money, right? <laughs> it's like that's it. Expiration date. You, you finished, we got you to the finish line. It is now up to you to do your shit. And so they were like, okay, we're gonna like move you to this dorm room in New York so you can do this thing. And then <laughs> you have to make something happen for yourself. And I was like, all right. So, like, it, it was a perfect confluence of events because it meant that I was in the exact right place, but I also had the exact right motivation to be like, something got to pop. <laughs> like, yeah. I really got to kill this internship. Were you, so you rose through the ranks, you know, you eventually were being, a, you were a sports writer for college, baseball, football, college basketball. college basketball. And what is that like being a young, how were you at the time? Uh, I landed that by the time I was like 26. I had been like a senior researcher on the research desk, a staff reporter, and then finally like got that job. It, it was so weird. Number one, being 26 in New York and having an expense account? Cash out. No. What you want? No, the temptation was like super real. I was like, no, 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 no. Let me not mess up this good ass job. Um, but then like number two, it was, it was just really, really strange because it was a fortunate position to land in, and then all the friends that I had and all the roommates and, you know, college kids that I graduated with at the same level had not progressed to sort of like that independence in that, their careers. So I was traveling like all the time at 26, 27, 28 on the road in these weird college towns and like flying back and forth to these games or whatever and really didn't have a lot a peer group of people to like talk about what that meant because everybody that I knew that was working at MTV or XXL or Complex or Vibe or someplace else was still, like, really trying to push through. And, like, all the work that they did 
to get them ahead was New York based, right? If they landed a big interview or a big story, they could report it out in New, in New York. And like, I was like, well, I'm going to East Lansing today. I'll be in uh, Lawrence, Kansas tomorrow. Like if I'm lucky and UCLA is good, I can swing through Westwood, that's what's up. But like the majority of my time was spent on the road and trying to build up these contacts, which were hard because within college sports and college basketball in particular, the sourcing is very much geared to the coaches and the power players at the universities talking to their peers. And so if they get approached by somebody that is like an older white man who looks like them and talks like them and asks them about their contracts, that's who they want to talk to. I'm coming through the door and I'm 26 and I have more in common with their players. It was very like, who let you in the door? But the advantage to me to that was I could speak to the players about the things that were important to them and highlight the players in a way that, like, other people couldn't get to because they didn't understand what those guys were talking about. And so I, I distinctly remember at the time, like, I, you know, as part of a group of writers at the magazine had been embedded with the Illinois team that went almost undefeated throughout the regular season. They ended up playing in the national championship. D. Brown and Darren Wood. Exactly. And they ended up losing in the, in the title game. But because I had been embedded with them all year, those guys knew me. And so once it got to the Final Four, I was like, yeah, we should be doing something on Darren Williams because, like, he'll be the one that'll go pro the fastest, but, like, he has the weirdest story. And then when D. Brown came back to school, I was like, I'll do the feature on D. When I talked to D, he was like, oh, I remember you. You were cool, blah, blah, blah. He gave me the entire backstory. And, like, when I wrote it up, one of the things I super duper pushed for because like they were like well what's it like for this guy that was like right on the cusp of like maybe going pro this is the best year of his college life all of his friends went pro blah 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 blah. I was like you know what it's like for him the best thing that happened to him over the summer was that he met young Jeezy (laughs) and they were like okay so that's an anecdote and I'm like no (laughs) for somebody that is 20 years old to meet young Jeezy and Jeezy know who they are like, they met in a club in Chicago, and he was like, oh, you're my favorite rapper. Jesus was like, I know you. And it was like, oh, shit. Like, we geeked out about that moment for a good 20 minutes. So then trying to explain to editors why that was such a monumental moment for him felt to me like the work that I should be doing. It was like, anybody can sort of explain, I won't say anybody, but most sports writers can explain the basketball of why he needed to develop or, like, why you know he would or wouldn't have success in the NBA other people can't explain to you what his life is like where you're like no this is somebody who is like mother means everything to them like these things about like Bump J Bump J went to jail D Brown was like in his feelings about it because that's his homie all that other shit they couldn't explain that to you in the way that I could and so I was like well I'm gonna I'm just make that my thing the culture exactly so then you, when you moved, uh, moved on from ESPN and you were doing, like, working with Complex and then even to now uh, with SB Nation, has, when you realized that, like, you know, your, your, uh, <clears throat> your move was, like, the culture move that you could connect with the players on a deeper level, did that make the transition from traditional media, traditional, I guess, like, printing, journalism, to more culture-focused sports uh, and journalism, sports journalism a little easier for you? Yeah, definitely, because, like, that was one of the main reasons why I left ESPN was that um, the path to having to always explain to people what was going on was too steep. 
and I could see other media changing. And I could see what was happening with the landscape and saying that, like, yo, you guys are so focused on, like, trying to explain this in a way that makes sense to the traditional sports consumer that you're missing the wave. And so I was like, like, I loved ESPN for what it gave me and for the opportunities that I had then. It was a great place to grow up and develop. But I got to a certain point where I was like, yo, the stuff that I want to do and the things that I want to talk about, I can't because I'm so busy trying to explain them internally that I can't get them out. And also, I, I, you know, I'm a writer at heart and I love the written word and I love editing and writing, but like, there are many different ways to present a story. And I didn't feel like I had the opportunity to experiment with storytelling in the way that I wanted to when I was still there. So when I left and, you know, the opportunity at Complex arose, I was like, yes! I was like, this is a place where I will not have to explain who the fuck Young Jeezy is. Because they get the culture. Because that's yeah, what it's yeah. A, yeah. Exactly. I won't have to explain the cultural part. I can strictly focus my time on, like, the editing part and, like, the development part of, like, how you present a story. And so that was really exciting to me and, like, provided, like, a really new energy for me in my career. And so, like, I'll be forever grateful to all the people there, NCB and Donnie Kwok when he was there and, like, everybody that, like, helped me out there because it was this thing where I suddenly had a playground of tools of people who really were internet native. You know what I mean? Like, people who come up with the internet in their hands, meaning, like, on their phones and, like, living on the internet, see things in a way that people who come came up with, like, newspapers in their hands just don't. And so I'm like, that thing where you can't be afraid of, like, the Twitter meme and you can't be afraid of... You know, the drive-by dunk challenge. Exactly. Exactly. I was like, no, that's a thing that real basketball fans are talking about. So like, you should just reference. It's fine. So many people at traditional sports outlets feel like it's beneath them to ask those questions. And I'm like, well, why? That's exactly what the players are talking about. That's what the fans are talking about. Why wouldn't we ask that? And so like, even once I left Complex and went over to SB Nation, one of the first videos I did was uh, grabbing a production crew and going out to the uh, NBA rookie camp that they had. They have a whole day where everybody signs playing player cards and stuff like that. And it was one of the most successful videos that SB Nation did that day because basically I had all the rookies in a room and I just asked them, like, at that time, that guy B-Dot was real, real hot on Twitter for doing, like, basketball impersonations. You remember? You'd be in the driveway doing all kind of shit. And so I was like, okay, asking different rookies, like, give, like pick a name out of a hat and give me your best basketball impersonation of, like, Dirk Nowitzki or, like, LeBron or whoever else. And they ate it up because they knew exactly what I was talking about. And it ended up being funny and of the moment or whatever else. But that's what I mean about, like, not being afraid to ask about the meme. Because I could have done the thing that everybody else there did, which was... How do you feel about your new team? Are you adjusted to your new city? What do you think about Boston Celtics fans? Blah, 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 blah. You're going to get the same canned answer, but you got to get them to talk about something they want to talk about. Exactly. And, like, that's what made that video is that, like, they were excited to do that stuff. <laughs> it was, like, in a lot of cases did two or three different impersonations because that's what hoopers do. Like, if you go to a basketball practice, at the end of practice, there's, like, eight guys practicing LeBron's jab step, right? Because it's, like... <laughs> <laughs> She's they, doing the draft up. Sorry, they'll take it to the extreme and do that. Or, like, there's eight guys that are practicing Kobe or Carmelo fadeaways, right? So this is something that, like, hoopers do. People that, like, 
live in gyms or like watch a lot of basketball know that hoopers do this and so why don't you just ask them about that rather than doing that so like that was a thing that I was really proud of because of that thing where it's like if you have the access to people you should ask them things that like actual basketball fans are talking about not things that like sports writers are talking about yeah because I read you know in leading up to this interview I was reading that that's where you guys that's the approach you guys come from is a fan approach was that something that you kind of uh always were leading with or what once you got the SB you made it your your intention to focus on that that uh that approach I didn't realize it but yeah once I got to SB Nation it kind of got concrete for me because of that same reason where it was like my access in locker rooms the thing that I always had the most success about was asking people just straight up real questions that like normal people would ask and not like tying myself up in very like weird shit so like the first thing I ever got published for ESPN the magazine was not a traditional sports story it was me covering the opening of 4040 which should tell you how old I am right it's like <gasps> my my Side note, my fake ID was turned away <laughs> at 40-40. I got into all the clubs with white bouncers, but that black bouncer knew. He was like, this is not you. I was like, come on, son. Let me in. He was like, you can go in, but you can drink. And he assigned a waitress to me to watch me. Wow. But he let you in, though. He let me in. But 40-40, one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. But it's all right. We, we still party. One of the most embarrassing moments of my life, because I, I might have thrown up on Jay-Z. Okay, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Mr. Carter. I'm so sorry. But yeah, like, one of the first stories I published for them was, like, the fact that they were like, here, intern, see if you can get in on opening night. And I was like, okay, sure, it's great, it's great. Of course I A challenge? Yeah, of course I did not get in. But what I ended up doing was interviewing all the athletes outside who couldn't get in. And so I was like, Jeremy, Shock, are you mad? Or like, Teresa Witherspoon, what's up? You know? Teaspoon, shout out to Teaspoon. Exactly. So, like, ended up running this column that nobody expected me to get because a normal, regular reporter would have just been like, oh, I'm sorry I couldn't get the thing that you guys assigned me to get. And I was like, I'm going to just talk to these athletes about being mad. I don't know. So I was always that person that was, like, asking questions in locker rooms or in lines or other places. Where it was like, but <laughs> why are we ignoring the elephant in the room, which is the thing that, like, a normal, regular person would ask you about? And people were always more than willing to accommodate that because they were like, yes, you. I want to call on you because you're not going to ask me why I scored 25 points instead of 27. Like, athletes in particular are always looking for an opportunity to talk about something that's different. Like, you see that every time Russell Westbrook gets interviewed, right? He's, like, rolling his eyes at people that ask him, like, yet another question about some bullshit. But when people ask him real shit, he's like, yeah, I'm more than willing and happy to talk about it. So once I got to SB Nation, I found a staff and a tribe of people that came from that perspective of like they did they weren't used to getting a lot of access so a lot of times like when they would write or like when they would actually get access to athletes they would just ask them what they were curious about and I was like yes that is exactly it just ask the person the thing that you're legitimately curious about because I guarantee you somebody else is curious about it too yeah because that seems to be kind of an issue across the board is that traditional outlets are kind of struggling with trying to keep up with like the change because these players are getting younger and younger 
Uh, and I think you have to be able to adapt to what they how they want to, to, to be athletes and how they want to respond and they're not dealing with kind of the old guard, the old rules. So, okay, we gotta talk about this because obviously we're living in some turbulent times politically and especially with, with sports and all these kind of like controversies. So I, I am tempted literally every week to take my little sports bar platform and devote it to like responding to all the bullshit I see. <laughs> and because it's like something, you know, there's an occurrence that happens and it just makes me angry. I'm like, you know what? All my next 25 posts gonna be people with black fists in the air. <laughs> right, right, right. So I cannot imagine you as a leader, as a woman of color, as a journalist, helming a, a major sports platform. Um, you know, all this controversy with Jamel Hill and tweets and, like, how does that impact the work you, that you, you, you're doing? Does that change the, what you're trying to do? That, like, how do you move with, with that? Because I feel like, like I said, I want to just go, like, grow an afro and wear a beret and, like, black leather gloves. So I can't imagine if I had access to, like, running a whole platform, what it would be like. So... It, it's it's an interesting opportunity, I'll put it like that, because like and th- that's the way I approach it, because we have such an opportunity to speak to f- sports fans, because I think that like what's happening with athletes on the court and on the field has allowed us the opportunity to have a much broader conversation than we would normally be able to, or that people would normally be receptive to. And so like I, I cherish that, and I think that's a really good thing. But also within a staff and within, you know, people who cover sports all the time, one of the things that we always say about the work that we do, and it it relates back to your last question, is that, like, we love sports. Mm -hmm. I love watching sports all the time, every day. If this wasn't my job, I would do it anyway. Maybe not, you know, 24-7. There were certain games I would take off, but for sure, I would definitely still be watching sports, interacting with people, talking about sports, talking cash shit with people about sports. People that know me know that that is a thing that I would do. Everything that we do within SB Nation comes from that standpoint of, I love sports, and so I'm willing to talk about all these things. And you know that like when you watch sports on TV or when you talk about it with your friends, you talk about everything with regards to an athlete, right? So like we talk about the Giants being, what, 0-5? <laughs> and talking about that, you talk about Odell Beckham and, like, what his situation is, him in the hospital. That means that you talk about him in the hospital and getting visits from Jake because what the fuck? Like, why is Drake by your bedside? Like, he's your nurse. It's very strange. It's very weird. But, like, the boundary keeps pushing because of your capacity to want to talk about your team. Same thing with everything that's happening socially with athletes. And so what I always tell my staff is, like, if there is a reason that people are separating from sports or like distancing themselves from the games, whether it be because of protests or because of CTE or because of other things, we also have to talk about that because like separating yourself from something you love very deeply is some real shit. (laughs) Like there's hella feelings involved and like something had to have fractured your relationship with that. So there's like an opportunity to mind that conversation and like think about it and to speak to it. But 
with regard to this present moment, you know, we have been covering Kaepernick since the first time he's, you know, sat for the anthem, much less kneeled. Like, that was a couple weeks after that. And so because we've been capturing that and talking to people about how they felt about it and what was going on with it, we developed a language there that was really, really helpful, you know, basically the second week of the season when Donald Trump decided that, like, you know, he was going to talk shit about players or say that, you know, they call them sons of bitches because they were going to protest something because we had been covering it all year. And because, you know, at the start of the season, we had did a package about what is the actual significance of this protest? Did it accomplish anything? What about this rhetoric about, like, Colin Kaepernick getting a job? Like, can, can we officially say that he can't play? And the answer to that is no, because we had a former pro review all the tape all year and dissect all his throws and be like, that's one part of the conversation you can take off the table. So what I aim to do is give fans and consumers the ability to think about and the tools to talk about these things on their own volition. I'm like, yo, you can come to whatever conclusion you want to come to, but the argument you can't make is this, because we gave you a post that tells you he can still play football. And the argument you can't make is this, because we, that it didn't have any impact, because we gave you a post that we reported and talked to all the people that were impacted and decided to also take knees too, whether it be you know, WNBA players, other pros, people on the Pop Warner level that also kneel too. That's the impact of that protest. So you can't say it didn't have an impact. And so, like, as we build up that body of work, I want people as fans to be able to have a conversation about things that are happening in front of their faces, armed with some knowledge and armed with some, like, actual reporting there. And, like, you you come to whatever conclusion you want, but, like, that's my only goal is that, like, as sports fans, I know you want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm going to give you the tools to talk about it in a rational way. And what about personally? I mean, do you, as a woman of color, uh, sports writer, is the energy around you now any different, like, from your colleagues, your subordinates, in that the media office with all those different companies is and even like you know obviously on twitter is it different than it was a few weeks ago before all this or is it this is it always is it kind of always been the same uh slightly i mean i guess misogynistic or hostile towards women or whatever it is not to say that it's always like that but has the energy changed for you or do you still feel like it's the same i feel like things things constantly get every week more cognizant and by that, I mean, like, I won't even date it back to Kaepernick. There are certain things that have happened way before Kaepernick that also sort of expanded the thinking of people in the newsroom. And so when I think about, you know, North Carolina losing out on NCAA tournament sites and people not really understanding why that happened or them losing out on the All-Star game and it coming to the end, oh, people didn't understand necessarily as sports writers how to deal with that. And so in those moments, folks are very grateful and happy to have a more diverse staff than other places because they have people within the staff that can speak to those concepts and can edit them in a way that won't have them out there. That's the thing that I found most from our staff is that, like, they want to be on the right side of things and they want to be able to think about things and they appreciate having people to, like, shepherd them through those conversations and, like, push and pull a little bit because, like, I want people to express the feeling that they are comfortable with and exactly what they mean. I don't want you to trip up over your words and I don't want you to, like, 
get fried on Twitter because you didn't think about something. But if you have a contrary opinion to, to me, that's fine, as long as you thought about it and, like, actually reason through your way of thinking. And so in a lot of cases, my response to them, even in these dialogues, which, like, I have to say they are very amenable to having, is that, like, are you thinking about the affected groups as sports fans? So, like, even when we talk about North Carolina and, you know, transgender bills and bathrooms, I'm like, you, you as a cis white man, you don't understand how, how that has a pertinence to the sports world. But, you know, one of our sites, Outsports, did a story where a transgender woman experienced her first Oakland A's game out as a woman and that was her number one biggest fear it wasn't anything about the game it was like what was going to happen when she had three beers and she had to go to the bathroom and so like that's the thinking is that that person is a sports fan too and you shouldn't ignore that and so that like that's the thing that they're like oh and very glad to have people on staff that can like talk to them about that thing before they you know put their foot in their mouth because that's not their intention The WNBA finals were the highest this year since 2003. As a part, as a, a person, uh, a governing body in the media, what do you think has to happen to, to for this to persist and for it to even like you know, to in, for the ratings to increase, for the viewership to increase? Shout out to Lisa Borders because she's amazing and she holds church every time she speaks. That's uh, the WNBA commissioner. She's amazing. I think, like, they have to continue on the same trajectory, which is, like, they have amazing athletes now that are doing things that, like, even five years ago weren't routine in the WNBA, right? And so, like, as the level of play continues to advance and you develop these really natural rivalries, because when you look at Lynx games and Sparks games, yo, like... When you see Candace Parker barking on the ref, you know that she's like, oh, that's a foul, so I can't swing on her, like, I can't play a physical game. Like, when you have that very natural thing happening in competition where the competition is elite, is visceral, they really don't like each other, they really, like, want to flame one another, and there's, like, real grudges. You could tell Maya Moore was like, I, I don't do back-to-back -back losses in finals. Like, I don't personally do it. Go, Maya Moore, four-time champion. Boom, boom. Never lost back-to-back -back championships in her entire career. That's, that's high school. That's elementary. She don't do that. She don't do that. That's what you need because sports fans need storylines. Like, yeah, I always thought the narrative was very important. I thought if they created a star, and I was kind of wait, waiting for somebody to, like, uh, to transcend and kind of cross that threshold, but I felt like, you know, Skylar Diggins got there but didn't go all the way. Maya Moore is there, but still I think she needs a sneaker or something. Right. You can't have stars in isolation, and Maya Moore does have a sneaker. She's a female Jordan Brand. She's a, but she's a Jordan Brand player, but does she have our signature sneaker? Yes, she does. It was released during the finals. Ooh! Oh, my bad. So holla at me, Chad Easterling. <laughs> exactly. Shout out to Maya Moore. But that's the thing is that, like, stars need rivals. So what you have now is, like, a Larry Bird, Magic Johnson type of thing happening, which is dope. And so, like, you know, people will argue forever, like, at the college level, whether it's good for UConn to be as good as they are, right? Because when they had Tennessee as a natural rival, you had something to look forward to. You knew they were going to get a challenge. Rest in peace, Pat Summit. All right, people. That's my dog. 
But, like, that's what's happening now in the WNBA is, like, you have a natural rivalry happening that's very elite and also has Prince looking down at it because you know he was a Lynx fan. Purple rain. Tears, real tears flowing. So we're going to uh, we're gonna move to the parting shots. Usually parting shots is reserved for me ranting, but we're going to give it up to to Elena this week um, on, on Sports Bra because we're having so much fun. We've finished our beers. <laughs> um, your career highlights so far. Oh, shit. Oh, no. Oh, man, this is on the spot like a mug. Um, career highlight so far. I mean, there's no one standout highlight. It's literally every day. Like, I really love what I do. I really like pushing the boundaries of sports media. And I really like coming in every day and saying, like, yeah, but everybody else is doing that. What can we do? And so, like, that's what I think about, like, my natural highlight is, like, every time I'm able to give somebody new a platform that they wouldn't have had or every time that, like, we give rise to a story, like, 17776, which was an insane piece of, like, sports sci-fi that got picked up by the New Yorker and the New York Times and everybody else that people are like, why are they doing this? And I'm like, because that's what the fuck we do. Like, we can do anything we want. That's where I get my joy and my rush about my job. So hopefully the highlight is like tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. Last question. I'll give you some time. Maybe you don't have these bullets loaded in the chamber. Top three favorite sports figures. Okay. I might have some of this though. Oh, three is hard because it, okay, you want. I was gonna say one, but I know it's more than one. It's definitely more than one. Cause it's too hard. I mean, like people that know me know that Gary Sheffield is like my personal hero because I I feel like we're very similar temperamentally, but also in terms of longevity and production. Because my dude got 500 home runs, needs to be in the Hall of Fame, very quick hands, very good, underrated uh, strikes to walkout ratio, and also, like, we'll flame you in a second. We'll definitely get in a fight ASAP. Uh, so Gary Sheffield is probably, like, number one to me personally. Uh, number two is the diametric opposite is Greg Maddox, who's always in control never really threw above like 93 miles an hour but will work the hell out of that ball and like the plate and just be like I'm smarter than you that's cool um oh number three is gonna be a challenge I I mean I'm gonna go with Abby Wambach wow yeah because she would run that ass over and not think twice about it and I'm like if you just combine those three people that is my life that is your life. Thank you so much for taking flight with me, Air Auntie, on Sports Bra. Again, this has been episode number six. Episode number six of Sports Bra. Uh, where can they follow you? Where can they see you? At Elena Bergeron on Twitter and Instagram. And you can always go to any one of the SB Nation uh, sites, particularly SBNation.com, and see our work. I think. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye.